0: Happy Easter, Destiny Church! Amen! Together, we're here today gathered as God's people to celebrate the greatest, the most momentous, the single most incredible event in the history of the universe. Amen! The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is no other event that is more important than this. No other event. No single greatest event would ever, can ever, will ever eclipse the resurrection of Jesus. And we celebrate the resurrection because Jesus, He rose victorious. Amen? Victorious over sin, victorious over death victorious over darkness and disease and Satan and and sickness and, and everything wrong and everything broken and every pain and every hurt. Jesus Christ rose in victory over it all. Amen. There is no greater person who has ever walked the face of the earth than the man, Jesus Christ. In fact, our... Our time clock, our, our, our calendar is divided in half by His life. We mark our calendar by His life. B.C., which means before Christ. A.D. is Latin. It means Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Human history is measured by this man, Jesus Christ. People have come and go kings and kingdoms and emperors and presidents and very important political figures. But Jesus Christ towers above all of them. Compared to Christ, every single one of them is just a footnote in history. More songs have been sung to him, more paintings painted of him, more books written about him, more prayers prayed to him than any other person who has ever lived. Jesus Christ. Today, you and me, we gather with over 2 billion people who claim to follow this man. The church of Jesus Christ, it is the biggest thing that the world has ever seen. There has never been anything like The church. People have tried to snuff it out. People have tried to destroy it. The gates of hell have come against it. But the church of Jesus Christ marches forward victoriously. Leaders, they come and they go. Companies rise and fall. Emperors, nations, governments. Empires, they come and they go. The church of Jesus Christ marches forward unabated. Amen. And you and I, who have faith in Christ, who have trusted in Christ, we are a part of the greatest thing that there has ever been. And the church will continue to march forward into eternity. Amen. Wow, let me get to a message here. Welcome to Destiny Church. If you're new with us today, my name is Pastor Matt, and we're glad to have you here with us. And uh, at Destiny Church, we believe that God's got a great plan, a divine purpose for your life that's bigger and better than anything you could ever imagine. So I want to invite you to open with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, we're going to look at one of, there's four of them, accounts of the first Easter Sunday, that Resurrection Sunday. We're going to look at one of those accounts today from the Gospel of John. And the idea of Jesus rising from the dead, here's what I want you to see. This was not something that the disciples thought up. This was not something that they were uh, in, the, in the mind of, of Jesus' followers when he died, In fact, when Jesus died and hung on that cross and and died, the Bible says, for the sins of the world, shedding his blood to pay the price for our sin, when he died, the the disciples, the followers of Christ who thought he was going to be the Messiah, they thought it was over. They thought it was done. They put Jesus in a tomb. The Bible says that a a rich man came and, and actually gave Jesus his tomb, a very prominent man and it was a very well-known tomb, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. He didn't know that Jesus was just going to borrow it for a couple nights and that he was going to get it back real soon. This, this, was, this was not in the mind of the disciples. They, they thought that, that what Jesus came to do, they thought that darkness had won. They thought that Satan had won. They thought that the, the, the governments of this world had defeated the plan and purpose of God. But little did they know... That Jesus death was not an accident it was actually why he came he came to lay down his life he came to die he came to suffer he came to pay the price for sin and so as we come to John chapter 20 we have now the account of this first Easter Sunday morning and I want to read it for you today it says now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. You see, when they buried Jesus, they put him in the tomb and, and they placed a huge stone, a huge boulder. Some estimates, uh, estimate that it was two tons that this stone weighed, because they wanted to make sure that no one would get in there, that no one would steal his body. The Roman government put in a a, a force of of guards around the tomb to guard it to make sure that no one was getting in and no one was getting out. They placed the Roman official Roman seal over the tomb. To break that seal was you would break it by penalty of death. If you broke that seal, you were signing your death warrant. It wasn't like pulling the tag off your mattress, you know, It, it was a big deal. You did not break the Roman seal. You did not try to to get through that Roman guard. And here Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb early that Sunday morning. It's still dark, but she sees that the stone has been taken away from the tomb. And so she runs and goes to the disciples, Simon Peter and uh, the disciple. It says the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and that is the Apostle John. And she says to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. You see, it was not in her mind when she saw what happened, that Jesus had risen from the dead. She thought that someone had broken in, that someone had stolen his body, that someone had desecrated his grave, that the, the shame that they bestowed upon Jesus in death, that they wanted to continue to do that publicly with his body afterwards. She says they've broken in, they've stolen the body. We don't know where they have taken him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I don't know if Peter had just had breakfast and he couldn't keep up with him or what the deal was. Anyway, John beats him to the tomb and he stoops and looks in, verse 5, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. See, Jesus had been wrapped in a linen cloth Uh, to prepare his body for burial. That was the custom and the tradition of that day. His face was also wrapped with a linen shroud. And so uh, they look in. John looks in. He gets to the tomb. He doesn't go in. He only looks in. And he sees these grave clothes there. He stoops to look in. He does not go in. Verse 6, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. Peter gets there huffing and puffing out of breath and he just, he just runs right in. He doesn't even stop to examine. He's, he's all in. And so he sees the linen clothes laying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes but folded up in a place by itself. Now this is a miracle here as well because here we see a single man folded his laundry which is just a total miracle. Made his bed. Something I'm still trying to learn. Anyway, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. So John now comes in behind him. And it says that he saw and believed. He saw and believed. He examined the evidence. He looked at the scene. He looked at the, the, the stone that was rolled away and the Roman guard that was gone and the seal that had been broken and the, the grave clothes. Who would, who would take time to fold them after they stole the body? He sees the scene and he believes. And it says in verse 9, yet they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Now they go back to their the place that they were and Mary continues to stand there weeping and Jesus comes and appears to Mary. Jesus Christ risen from the dead comes and comforts her and says, "Hey, there's nothing to cry about. I'm not dead, but I'm alive. Now go and tell everybody you know that I am risen." And as you continue on in the gospel stories, what you find out is that there's many mixed reactions to Jesus. Some, like John, believe immediately. Others, like Peter, they take some convincing. They need to see the risen Lord. Some, like Thomas, he wouldn't even believe if he saw Jesus. He says, I have to put my finger in his nail hole in his hand. That's kind of extreme. He's the kind of guy that has to, like, kick the tires, you know, before he takes the car for a test drive. He had to stick his finger in the holes in Jesus' hand. But upon doing so, upon experiencing Christ, he falls down on his knees and he proclaims, my Lord and my God, recognizing who Jesus was, risen from the dead. Now, some of you are here today, and and you might be like John. And I, I imagine that many of you have heard the good news about Jesus. You've heard about his death for sin. You've heard how he rose again to give life to everyone who would believe in him. And you have believed in Jesus. If that's you, give the Lord a clap offering this morning. Amen. Amen. There are many of us here today. Well, this is our testimony. We've, we've heard the news. We've examined the evidence. And we believe that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We believe that he died and paid the price for our sin. We believe that he is no longer dead, but that he is risen. Now, I imagine that there's probably, possibly, potentially some people here who maybe you're in the other camp. Maybe you don't yet believe in Jesus. Maybe you haven't yet examined the evidence like John did. Maybe you're here today simply because a friend or a co-worker or a family member twisted your arm and said hey you're coming with me to church today. Maybe you're here today because it's just a cultural tradition that we go to church on Easter in San Antonio. That's just what we do. In springtime We've got Fiesta, we've got Battle Flowers, we got Nyosa, we got the Spurs Playoffs, and we go to church on Easter. It's just what we do in San Antonio. Maybe that's why you're here today, but you don't yet believe. Maybe you're here today, it's just a family tradition. It's something that you did growing up, it's something that maybe your parents believed in, Maybe it's something your grandparents believed in, but it's not something that you would say is for you. You you haven't put your faith and trust and hope in Christ. Today, I want you to know that there is actually something to believe in. There's something going on here today that is more than just a cultural moment. It's more than just a cultural thing. It's more than just a family tradition. There is something here to believe in. And upon believing in Christ, it has the power to change and to radically transform your life. And so today what I want to do is I want to examine the evidence. I want to be like the Apostle John who who went and looked and saw. So how can you know that Jesus rose from the dead? You might be sitting there thinking, well, okay, you believe in that, and, but how can I know? How can you believe that? How can you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I want you to know, I really believe it. With every fiber of my being, with every bone in my body, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But some of you will say, how can you believe it? Were you there? And I would say, no, I wasn't there. I've, I've been there. I've I've seen the tomb. It is empty. There's there's nobody there today. Amen. There, There is an empty tomb. The way we can believe in the resurrection is the same way that we can believe in any other historical event. How can you believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States? Were you there? Did you see it? Did you see him swear in? No, of course not. But do you believe that? Like two of you now. Okay. (laughs) Preaching to the wrong crowd this morning. How how can you know? How do you believe that Julius Caesar was an emperor of Rome that was assassinated by his political opponents? How do you believe that? Why do you know that? How do you believe that Abraham Lincoln uh, was the one who signed the Emancipation proclamation, making slavery illegal in our country. Why do you believe that? Were you there? Did you see him sign it? No, we know it the same way we know everything that we did not see and witness with our own eyes. We examine the historical evidence and look at credible eyewitnesses. This is the way we know anything. And it's the same way that we know that Jesus rose from the dead. So the same logic, the same understanding, the same part of your brain that you use to examine any event from history is the same part of your brain that you need to apply to the resurrection of Jesus. So today we're gonna look at some of the evidences for the resurrection of Christ. And here's the deal, the empty tomb is a historical fact. This is a fact that's attested to not just by biblical evidence, but by historic evidence. There was a man named Jesus Christ who lived and died, was crucified, and his tomb was empty. That's attested to by history, apart from the Bible. There was an empty tomb. What are you gonna do with that? What are you gonna do with the empty tomb? Today, we're going to briefly look at 14 evidences for the empty tomb. And I want you to know I cut my list down for you today. I thought, you know what, 14's enough. We'll, we'll go with 14. First, we're going to look at biblical evidence, evidence from the Bible itself. <clears throat> the biblical evidence for the resurrection and the crucifixion starts way before Jesus was even born. Before Jesus was even born, his death was foretold by the prophet Isaiah. His death and resurrection are prophesied in advance. The prophet Isaiah, 750 years before Jesus lived, describes in graphic detail the events surrounding his death and the way that he would die. He describes crucifixion in graphic, gory detail. Before crucifixion is even invented, 750 years before Christ lived, Isaiah chapter 53, over 1,000 years before Jesus walked the earth, his resurrection is prophesied in advance, The psalmist David writes down in Psalm chapter 16, a thousand years before Christ comes, that God's servant who suffers and dies, that God will raise him again from the dead. So before Jesus is even born, his his life and death and resurrection prophesied in advance a multitude and host of biblical prophecies pointing to Jesus. Secondly, Jesus predicted his own resurrection on numerous occasions. On numerous occasions, Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection. In Matthew chapter 16, we see one of the examples of that. It says Jesus explained that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the leaders. I've got water. Oh, okay. Okay, thank you. God bless you. Let's give Nick a big hand today. Maybe I sound thirsty. I was singing really loud in worship, so. That Jesus predicted, he said that the elders and the chief priests are going to kill me and make me suffer. And that I will be killed, but on the third day I will be raised to life. Upon hearing this, do you know what the disciples said? They begin to rebuke Jesus. No, 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 no. You can't die, Jesus. That's not in our plan. That's not the way it's supposed to go. Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. This is the plan of God. This is what I must do. The third evidence that we see is that Jesus died. Jesus died. We see this in the Bible. He hung on the cross to make sure he was dead. They thrust a spear into his side, penetrating his heart. When they pulled it out, it says that blood and water flowed, which is the... the um, uh, the medical term for an enlarged heart that as he hung there on the cross and his lungs and his heart were filled with water his heart gave out and they stuck that spear into his side and ripped puncturing his lungs puncturing his heart he was dead totally dead and this was not a mistake this was according to God's eternal plan Jesus, the Bible tells us, was buried in a tomb that was easy to find. A very prominent man took Jesus and put him in his own tomb. They knew where to go on Easter morning. They didn't need Google Maps or Siri to tell them how to get there. They saw where Jesus put him. They knew the tomb that was his Jesus appeared physically alive three days after his death. Jesus appeared and, and he did things like talk and speak and walk and he even ate. Yeah. Some people say that Jesus didn't have a physical resurrection, that Jesus had a spiritual revela- resurrection. And it was just visions that people saw. Well, I want to tell you something visions don't eat. Right, if if Jesus took a bite of the fish and it like you know fell to the floor, that wouldn't be very convincing that he had risen from the dead. The disciples they recognize him as Jesus. Mary recognizes Jesus when he calls her by name, by the sound of his voice. He had the scars in his hands, the nail imprints in his feet, the the, from from the crown of thorns on his head. He rose physically, bodily from the dead. The same body. Number seven, Jesus' resurrection was recorded in Scripture shortly after it occurred. People say that the Bible was written hundreds of years and centuries after these events happened. That is not true. The very best scholarly evidence that we have is that the Gospels were written early after the resurrection. The Gospel of Mark, some people believe, was written around 57 AD in the 50s, only 20 years after the events occurred. Some people believe that the gospel of Mark was written as early as 37 A.D. Why is this important? Because it was written within the time that people could have easily refuted it. It was written and circulated in a time where people could say, Hey, you know what? He didn't rise. Here's his body. It's right here. It was written during the eyewitness's lifetime. These were not myths that developed over time. This is what the disciples saw. This is their eyewitness account to verify the facts. This is not something that developed over time. This is what really happened. Number eight, Jesus' resurrection convinced his family to worship him as God how many of you have brothers and sisters what would it take for you to bow down to them and worship them as the creator God of the universe the answer is nothing we see in actually in Jesus life uh, as, he, as he was ministering before the crucifixion, that his family did not believe in him. In fact, his family thought he had lost his mind. At one point, they go to, to take him home because he's embarrassing the family by saying things like, I am God in the flesh, the Savior of the world. But upon seeing his crucifixion, his burial... And his resurrection, his own family recognizes this is God. This is God. His brothers and his mothers worship him as God. Number nine, Jesus' resurrection was confirmed by his most bitter enemies, such as Saul of Tarsus who later became known as the Apostle Paul. There is no other way to explain the transformation of Saul of Tarsus, the most violent, oppressive enemy of the church and of Christ. There's no way to explain his transformation except for the fact that Jesus saw the risen Savior. That Paul, rather. That Paul saw Jesus risen from the dead. This is what explains the transformation. There's no other explanation except for the resurrection. So that's the biblical evidence, and there's much, much more. but I want to look at some circumstantial evidence today. The first circumstantial evidence that we see, just from the circumstances surrounding it, is that Jesus' disciples were transformed men. You see, prior to the resurrection, they were not bold men. In fact, the Bible tells us they were cowards. That when Jesus was arrested, they didn't didn't stand with him and say, we're going to fight. No, they all fled away into the darkness and into the night, forsaking him. That after Jesus died for those two nights that he was in the grave, before he rose on the third day, they were behind locked doors, worried that they were next as his followers. Yet, they are transformed Upon seeing the resurrection of Jesus. Peter and the rest of the apostles stand up on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. The same city where Jesus was crucified. In front of the same crowds that had shouted crucify him, crucify him. Peter stands up and says Jesus is risen from the dead. You must believe in him. Amen. What accounts for this transformation? How did, how, what, why were they changed? Upon seeing the risen Christ, they were totally convinced. And all of them, but John, died a martyr's death. They gave the disciples two options stop preaching about Jesus' resurrection or die. They all said, We're going to take death. We're taking option number two because we've seen the risen Lord that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt. How can, we, how can we deny what we know so clearly? Not one of them who died a martyr's death broke or recanted or changed their story. They knew that Jesus was alive just as much as they knew anything. Simon Peter was crucified. Andrew was crucified. We're not talking about you know lethal injection. We're not talking about some sort of, you know um, humane way of helping people transition. We're talking about brutal, torturous executions that these men suffered as martyrs. James, the son of Zebedee, beheaded by the sword. James, the son of Alphaeus, crucified. Philip hung upside down with iron hooks through his ankles. Bartholomew, crucified. Thomas, stabbed with a spear. Matthew, stabbed in the back. Thaddeus, crucified. Simon the zealot, crucified. The only one who was not martyred was the writer of the Gospel of John, the Apostle John. And they tried to kill him by by boiling him alive in oil. And when he survived that... They exiled him to a deserted island called Patmos. James, the brother of Jesus, who wasn't one of the early disciples, because he would would not stop preaching about Jesus, they took him on top of the temple, a three- to four-story building, and they threw him off the top. When he hit the ground, he did not die and he began to pray for the people who had thrown him off the top. And there, while he was praying for their salvation, they stoned him to death. These men knew something. They had seen something and it had changed and transformed them. Other circumstantial evidence for the resurrection is that worship changed. Prior to Easter Sunday, uh, God's people worshipped on Saturday, the Sabbath, but now God's people worship on Sunday, Resurrection Day. Also, the object of worship changed. We worship Jesus Christ. Now, no devout Jew would worship Jesus as the one true God without proof of Jesus' resurrection. It would not happen. Number 12, This is for all the ladies in the house. Who are the star eyewitnesses to the resurrection? It's women. It's not the disciples who first see Jesus. It's the women who went to the empty tomb. Why is this important? Because the the Jewish culture of the day so despised women. They had such a low standing in their culture. A woman's testimony in Jesus' day was not even admissible in court. Yet Jesus first appears to women. Jesus first comes to a woman named Mary Magdalene, who was an ex-demoniac. She had been filled with demons. If you were gonna make this up, you know who you would not choose as your star witness? In this day and age, you would not choose a woman whose testimony is, is not even viewed as credible to be entered into a court of law, and you certainly would not choose the ex-demoniac woman. If they made this up, they would have not, they wouldn't have made themselves look like cowards afraid and hiding they would not have had jesus appear to women whose testimony was not credible in that day but this is not a made-up story this is real life early church preaching the apostles preaching and teaching was based on the empty tomb they started in jerusalem the city with the empty tomb They pointed to the empty tomb and said, Jesus isn't there because he is risen. It would have been so easy for people to say, hey, no, here's the body. Here's the tomb. They could not do it because he had risen from the dead. The disciples did not have to convince people that the tomb was empty. It was a widely known and accepted fact. And number 14, the final one, Christianity has exploded. There is no other way to account for the, the Church of Jesus Christ except for the resurrection. There is no other way to explain it except that the power of Christ resides within his church. There was, there was, you got to think, you got to put yourself in the mindset of the disciples. This is not a big deal that Jesus was leading. After Jesus' death, there's only 120 faithful disciples. Why would they invent this? What are they trying to do? What are they trying to manufacture? What are they trying to salvage? What are they trying to save? They could have no idea what lay ahead. They would have no reason to give their lives for this thing. It was nothing except it was true except it was real, except the power of God is alive today and is at work today in God's people. Amen. Now, there are those who want to object to the resurrection. And here I'll give you four of the most primary. Seriously, these are the leading theories against the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first one is that Jesus did not die. He just swooned. He just sort of passed out. He sort of just, you know, played dead. And they took him off the cross and, and put him in the tomb. And it's the most absurd idea. Can, can we really believe, uh, John Stott says, can we really believe that after the rigors and the pains of trial and mockery and flogging and crucifixion that Jesus could survive in a stone grave grave with neither warmth, nor food, nor medical care, and that he could have then rallied himself sufficiently to perform the superhuman feat of shifting the boulder which secured the mouth of the tomb. And could he have done so without disturbing the Roman guard or then overpower the Roman guard? Could he have appeared to the disciples in such a way as to give them the impression that he had vanquished death, that he had conquered death? And that he wasn't in need of intense medical care immediately. Such an idea is more incredible than the idea of the resurrection. They say that Jesus played dead. Well, let me tell you, these executioners were very good at their job. The only way he could have convinced them that he had not died was he would have to have stopped breathing for a long time which in and of itself would have killed him jesus really died the other thing that people say is that jesus did not rise that his body was stolen for that to happen all of the guards would have had to fall asleep at the same time even though it would have cost them all their lives They would have had to stay asleep and not be awakened by the breaking of the Roman seal on the tomb, by the rolling away of the enormous stone, or by carrying off the dead body. And again, it gets to the point of motive. What would have been the motivation? Why would they have done this? Jesus' body was not stolen. He rose from the dead. The other theory, and this is what Muslims believe today, is that Jesus did not die on the cross, but a look-alike did. Kind of his stunt double, or his twin brother, or someone who looked like him. Uh, Muslims believe that it was Judas Iscariot who died on the cross. Now, the problem with that is, his mother was there. Don't you think his mother would have noticed? Well, that's not Jesus, that's his twin brother James. Oh no, you got it mixed up. No... No, it, it, it's, it's absurd. It's absurd that, that Jesus and his disciples could watch him, watch somebody else be crucified and, and not know that it wasn't him. It's ridiculous. Jesus was crucified on the cross. The, the final uh, rebuttal or objection to the resurrection is that Jesus' followers hallucinated his resurrection that it was just wishful thinking, that they wanted it to happen so badly. But the problem is that we see evidence in the Bible that Jesus appeared multiple times to multiple groups of people. One time he appeared to a group of people over 500 in attendance. Hallucinations are private events. They are not public group events. And then after 40 days, all of the hallucinations stopped at the same time for everyone. And the resurrection wasn't even in the mind of the disciples, as we've seen from Scripture. They were not hallucinating, they saw the risen Christ. Amen. 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 And so, this is why I believe in the resurrection. I believe that there is no other explanation for the empty tomb. There is no other explanation that fits the evidence, the biblical, the historic, the circumstantial evidence. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, well, what does this mean? What does now the resurrection mean that Jesus rose from the dead? It means, my friends, that Jesus was telling the truth. That Jesus was telling the truth. That Jesus is who he said he was that Jesus is the Son of God. It means that Jesus accomplished what He said He came to do. Jesus said He came to save the world, that He came to seek and to save those who were lost. The Bible says that because of sin that we are separated from God. The Bible says that all of us have broken God's law. All of us have chosen to go our own way and that God is a good and righteous judge. That God does not let sin and evil and injustice go unpunished. And this is great news for people who are good and righteous. The problem and the great problem is that none of us is good and righteous. All of us through our own thoughts and our own actions and our own evil desires We have all broken God's good and righteous and holy and perfect standard and law. And because of that, we, humanity, are in bad shape. We stand under the judgment of God for sin. Humanity is lost. Humanity is in darkness. Everyone in this room has broken God's law. We've all made our sin, we've all made ourselves enemies of almighty God through our sin and through our rebellion. And you might say, "Well, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. I'm not really that bad of a person. You know, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm 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 friendly to my neighbors and I don't, you know, have road rage and I try and I try and help people and man, if I lie, it's not a big lie, it's just a little lie. And I don't I don't steal that much you know I mean if I do it's nothing of any consequence you know I've only cheated on my spouse a few times but hey I've stayed with them so I'm I'm better than these people I've never killed anyone listen my friend what you're doing right now in diminishing your sin as insignificant this very act shows clearly the depth of your sinful heart The fact that you would try to diminish your crimes against a holy and righteous God shows and serves to underscore the desperate state of darkness that you are in. The Bible says that you, because of sin, are dead in your trespasses. Spiritually dead, awaiting the judgment of God. The Bible says that one day you will stand alone before God. And to give to him an account of your life. He is your creator. He created you. You will stand before him and give an account for your life that he gave you. And what will you say on that day? The Bible says that if you have not had your sins forgiven by Jesus Christ. You will stand there silent with nothing to say. Because you will have no excuse. We are not good people. We are in bad shape, but God, but God, but God, because of his great love for us, he sent his son, Jesus, his only son, to live the life we should have lived, but didn't. To die the death, we should have died because of sin, and he took our sin upon himself on the cross. And I want you to know that there was not a grave that could hold him. On the third day, God raised him from the dead, proving once and for all that he was victorious And that he gives new life, God's life, eternal life to everyone who would believe in him. This is God's plan. There's only one plan. There's only one hope for your soul. And his name is Jesus. There is no other hope. There is no other way. There is no other plan. We are all sinners in need of a savior. And Jesus is that savior. There's only one who stands as mediator between God and man. It is Jesus Christ. He alone is the way to God. He alone bore the sin of the world. He alone paid the price for sin. He alone conquered death. He alone defeated Satan. He alone can heal. He alone can deliver. He alone can set free. He alone can restore the broken. He alone can save. His name is Jesus. Amen. He alone is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He alone is returning one day to make everything right. He alone offered up his life in your place so that you could be forgiven of your sins. Listen, the resurrection, it means that there's hope today. It means there's hope for change in your life. You do not have to continue in the cycle of sin and brokenness and shame and bondage and defeat and death. Because of the resurrection, the power of Satan, the power of darkness, the power of sin is broken in your life if you will believe in Jesus. Amen. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter. Who your parents were or your grandparents or what they did or how they lived. You don't have to continue in that. That cycle of death can be broken in your life for the generations to come. And that's my testimony. That's my witness. Jesus has changed my life. I'm not who I used to be. I'm not yet who I want to be. But God is making me. He's perfecting me. He's leading me. And the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. He's done it for me. He will do it for you. His resurrection power he will put inside of you through his spirit. So because of the resurrection, I have been brought out of darkness and into light. I'm no longer lost, but now I've been found. I was blind in my sin, but now I see clearly I'm no longer bound to sin. I've been set free of sin. I don't have to hang my head in shame and defeat under the burden of sin. Instead, my burden has been lifted, placed upon Christ. I'm now called a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God. I am welcomed into his presence as a daughter, as a son, as a child today. Amen. I have passed from death to life through the resurrection power of Jesus. And so it's Jesus that we celebrate today. It's Jesus that we praise today. It's Jesus that we worship. It's Jesus that we adore. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. He alone is the one who has the power to save and to deliver and to set free and to transform. He alone is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And so you might be here today and say, where am I at with God? I don't know. I came in here today, my friend made me come or it's just what I do on Easter or I saw something on Facebook. Listen, let me tell you something. That's not why you're here today. You're here today because God is searching you out. God is seeking you out. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. If you're here today and you haven't yet believed in Christ, it's not an accident that you are here today. God brought you here today. God brought you here today to hear about him. To hear about his power. To set you free. You say, you know, I, I, I've done all of these bad things. You don't know what I've done, pastor. And you're right. I don't know what you've done. But God knows what you've done. And he's still calling your name. He still wants you to be a part of his family. There is no sin too great that the blood of Jesus cannot conquer and wash you free of today. So how do you receive this? Well, we're going to take an offering here. And if you give enough, then you'll get. No, no, no. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. You can't buy it because you couldn't afford it. If there was a price tag on it, you could never pay it. So God gives it away freely. It's called Grace. You don't earn it, you don't work for it, you don't pay it, you receive it by faith. You repent of your sins. Repent means to change your mind, to to, to turn, to, to think differently about who Jesus is. So you turn away from sin, you turn away from death, you turn away from the world, and you turn away from darkness, and you run into the light. You run towards Jesus. You repent of your sin. You put faith in him. The Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means everyone. That if you will call out to Jesus in faith and you will confess your need for him, if you will confess your sins to him and put your faith in him, you will be saved today. You will be given eternal life. You will be set free from bondage and sin and darkness and shame and defeat. And even right now, there are some who are here and, and there is just a war raging in your mind. Man, I thought I was just bringing my kids to an Easter egg hunt. <laughs> this guy's telling me I've got to give my life to Jesus. The empty tomb demands a response. Amen. The empty tomb demands a response. A response the claims of Christ who he said he was what he came to do they demand a response you cannot afford today to remain neutral you cannot continue to ride the fence of indifference today you cannot afford to just say well eh, I don't know maybe I'll think about it later The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. The claims of Christ and the resurrection are too staggering. The implications of what it means are too significant. The matter and what it means for your eternal soul is too serious to ignore. We must either receive it as truth or reject it as a lie. And to remain indifferent or undecided is to reject it. You must wholeheartedly embrace Christ today. The Bible says you are not promised tomorrow. None of us knows what tomorrow brings. You may stand before God tomorrow and will your sins be forgiven? Jesus is the only way. You have to decide what you're going to do with the empty tomb. Don't stay in the darkness of unbelief. Listen, this world is passing away. The the things of this life are are, are fading away. They're meaningless compared to Christ. Whatever it is that we must let go of and move beyond to embrace Christ, it is worth it. It It is worth it a million times over. I want you to be like John today in the story that we read. John who examined the evidence and believed. Believe today in Jesus. Believe today. Believe in him. Believe upon his resurrection. Believe upon his sinless life. Believe upon his atoning death. Believe upon his power. Believe in Jesus today. Some of you may have come in here today very broken by what's going on in your life. Broken because of sin. Broken because of shame. Broken by things done against you or things you've done yourself. But listen, you don't have to leave here broken today. Jesus is the one who can heal broken hearts and broken lives. You may have come in here defeated today. You've given life your best shot, and it has just done a number on you. You don't have to leave here defeated today. Jesus rose in victory, giving you his victorious life. You may have come in here today under the crushing weight and burden of sin. Listen, give your burden to Jesus today. He paid the price for your sin that you could be set free.